call him Little Pete. We're all a piece for tea. Viva Hernandez. How are you, Ed? I'm very good, thank you. Yes. Not I'm, too bad uh, at all. I'm excited about Chicharito. I think um, he's, he's, he's winning my affections one goal at a time. Although, more badge kissing in that game against Wolves. Yes, I, I noticed that. Yeah, it's a, it's a habit that needs to be stamped out immediately. If only because it, it, it will inevitably be played when United flog him to Real Madrid in a couple of years' time. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so uh, he was a highlight in a game which I think it's fair to say from your Twitter feed you did enjoy very much. It got a lot better after half time, didn't it? So um, it was horrendous for for about forty five minutes and flat atmosphere. Obviously, Old Trafford was half full. Uh, it didn't look like there were forty six thousand claimed people there. I have to be honest. Uh, I think there was some creative accounting going on. Yeah, almost, almost no atmosphere, and uh, United played really flat and it just got a lot better after half time. At least we had some goals and a bit of uh, incident and drama and. And uh, little P came on to you know save United's bacon. Sorry to mix some food analogies there. Yeah, hey, come on, don't bring meat into this. Little P's a hero to all us vegetarians everywhere. Uh, you, this is interesting. Small sidebar here. I want to point out, Ed, that I wouldn't necessarily have thought this about you, but you said uh, half full rather than half empty when you described Old Trafford. Maybe revealing a secret underlying optimism that United Rants readers didn't know you possessed. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, the, the first half was absolutely dreadful, but the, the second half was good. I, I thought Bebe played pretty well. Um, yeah, all, all right. I, I think, uh, you know, we put it in context. He was playing against a much changed Wolves side as well, but he did all right. I mean, he played very, very wide, and I guess in a in a four four two that United played, that, that was his role, so he kind of hugged the touchline. He, he did okay. He, he beat his man sometimes. He didn't always. His first touch was sometimes great, sometimes not. It was just some inconsistency in his play, but he did he did okay. He scored the goal, a bit lucky. But a bit he, lucky. A bit very lucky, but <laughs> nice little jig afterwards. And, and I, I guess there is some raw material there to work with. It really depends on, on what his progress is. I mean, obviously he's... A relative latecomer to top-flight football, isn't he? Uh, he is only 20, so he's going to need some time to adapt both to England and the quality of the football and, and develop personally and, and all of that. And so we might not see the best of this guy for two years. And by that time, we'll work out whether he's the next Nani or the next David Bellion. Oh, ouch. You had to drop the B-bomb, didn't you? He brought up Bellion. Um, maybe my favourite tweet of the week, at R underscore O underscore M. Carlos Queiroz says he's pretty fly for a homeless guy. Anyway, I won't sing anymore on the rest of the podcast if anyone's turned off. It, our kids did all right against um, Wolves in the end and they showed a decent amount of character to come back. And that boy Chicharito's composure under pressure is pretty impressive. Impressive, is it not? Yeah, nice finish for the winner. And obviously, started and finished the move. Bags of pace to to get up with play and and uh, turned inside towards defender and, and finished with his left. And I guess that's what we've come to expect of him already. Already shows that he he can do something at this level. I thought his link up play was okay, no, no more than that. And that's why he's shown in the you know the what does he have? Eleven games in total or something for United, including substitute appearances. Yeah, uh, uh, you know that's we we kind of I think we know what. What we get from him now um he's he's a you know, he's a great finisher 
uh, as we saw in the Stoke game. He's very composed under pressure and he's got loads of pace and we'll see if he develop, develops his game anymore. And at 22, um, it's nice to see he's set, kind of settled into the club pretty quickly, which which brings me on to some of our other youngsters, I think, because people like Gabriel Obertan, who had an OK game against Wolves, but he's, he is 22. He seems a long way behind in his development. So um, we'll see. And he runs up blind alleys quite a lot. I think, and then Darren Gibson, I just despair of most of the time. Although he played a, a decent ball through for for Chicharito's winning goal, he did. Um, I yeah, I, I'm not at all. I'm kind of increasingly in your camp in the Darren Gibson schools of thought on Darren Gibson. Um, I, I really don't think he's he's going to come too good. And and the one thing that is perhaps a bit of a worry is that there there hasn't yet shown um, the midfield component of our young players that don't seem to be doing brilliantly um, as as yet. I mean, there are some who are sort of you know bubbling under the Carling Cup squad even Akram was on the bench he didn't didn't get on Ravel Morrison of course came on but I'm not sure if he had a touch of the ball maybe one or two touches um, but it was very late and Tom Cleverley hasn't really been playing at Wigan has he? No no he had a knee injury uh, he was on the bench at the weekend so. Right okay um, so th- th- we, we do still have th- this this terrible problem in our midfield and uh, th- th- there wasn't there weren't any apart from Chicharito and Bebe's kind of enthusiasm there weren't too many massive highlights oh yeah Park scored a brilliant goal but absolutely shocking game he had. Oh, I thought he had he had a dreadful game. Yeah, apart from the goal, and I saw in um, some sites that he was made man of the match. I was like, were you watching the same game as me? No, I I, I just despair of the guy. He not not only is his passing just dreadful this season I mean the amount of times he gives away the ball is just shocking but what we expect of him the kind of energy and the verve seems to have gone and and if he doesn't have that energy and verve uh, what's the point of him so, well yeah Are you did you write a piece called what's the point of Park uh, no no that was Jay um, uh, someone who uh, sent in a contribution uh, not, not my piece but um, yes he he, uh, he was making the argument that there wasn't much point keeping him which, which is a fair enough argument I mean he he will turn 30 in I think May so he's not going to be getting any better now I think we know what we get from him Ferguson likes him because he can play in that kind of defensive attacking position whether it's um, whether it's centrally or, or uh, on the wing but I, I, I do uh, do tend to agree with some sentiments that it's a bit of a coward's way out he's not a proper winger and uh, by playing Park we know that we're not getting anything offensively out of him well normally although he did score a blinding goal against Wolves um, but as with all Jason Park's goal get a sense that it's more by luck than judgement I don't know there's something about his finish it's extremely hit and miss, isn't it? It's it always has been, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Anyone else play notably well or badly that you can think of in that Wolves game? Well, I was impressed with Smalling again, and uh, I think he's whenever he's been called upon, he he's looked very composed. Uh, he's obviously got bags of pace, and I, I I thought he had a good game despite the fact that United conceded two goals in the second half. I thought he did okay. He looks like if he can develop as we hope, that he'll be a really top class player. I thought Johnny Evans was a bit poor, wasn't he? Yes, but he's he's gone through a major slump this season so yes I'd agree with that I, I, it, it would seem that Smalling's ahead of him if not in the pecking order then uh, then close to it uh, and uh, in, certainly in terms of form at the moment so talking of the pecking order and form at the moment what do you think the starting lineup's going to be at 5.30 on Saturday evening when we take on our favourite six points a season team Tottenham Hotspur yeah of course Spurs haven't won at Old Trafford for 21 years haven't beaten United in any format for nine we, um, we all seem to give them a head start don't we or 
have done a few times and then uh, then uh, dash their hopes at the last minute. I'm not sure what the starting lineup will be. I, I assume that um, some of the older chaps will come back into um, into it. Giggs has been training all week, and uh, Paul Scholes, I assume, will be under consideration again. There was never a chance he was going to play in the Carling Cup, of course. Uh, Van der Zyl will definitely come back into the side, and I, uh, some of the decisions Ferguson will have to make are at right back. Um, who gets that slot? O'Shea had the nod against. Well, O'Shea played left back against uh, against Stoke, didn't he? Uh, although I wouldn't expect to see. I wouldn't expect to see Gary Neville. Uh, we'll see, you know, I, but there, there's a choice. Brown, O'Shea, Neville or, or Raphael and Ferguson doesn't seem to be able to choose between the four of them this season. And then in midfield, I'm sure Skulls and, and perhaps Giggs will play. And it depends on what system Ferguson chooses. Will he go with one up front and just Berbatov? Will he, will he bring Hernandez into it and play with the two? Uh, does he, uh, how does he solve the left wing problem? Uh, is that Park? Is that Giggs? Uh, does he play Hernandez wide? And, and so on, all, all the choices he'll have to make. So if you were the boss, what would you do? Well, you kind of have to go with form, don't you? So it, it would seem pretty unfair after his goal in midweek and, and two at the weekend to drop Hernandez. So that would suggest a 4 4 2. The problem, of course, is that Spurs will almost certainly play three in there with Van der Vaart just behind, probably Crouch um, as Spurs' main striker. So do we risk with, you know, say a midfield of Hudson, Van der Vaart, Modric, Bale, and perhaps Lennon, which is a, a pretty strong midfield that Spurs have got at the moment do we risk going with the four when we've been outplayed in midfield by West Brom and Sunderland this season yeah I think it, it I think it's too big a risk to take actually um much as I would love to see a 4-4-2 I'm not sure that would be the right shout um against Tottenham's midfield because bags of creativity and also some some power in there and I think if we play Fletcher and Skulls as a two in midfield we're gonna be really really kind of in trouble um because Skulls will be run off the ball because you'd imagine that Harry's smart enough to say by the way make sure that little ginger fella who's absolutely brilliant doesn't have any time on the ball um so i i think it'd be uh, be be probably a bit foolhardy to play 4-4-2 against spurs i think um having you know referred to them as our favorite six points a season side you'd have to say this has got to be the closest uh, in quality that Tottenham and Manchester United have been for a very very long time I think they've got better and we've got worse Spurs' trouble is is the depth of their squad I mean it's, it, it is a good squad um, outside the, the first 11 it does deteriorate uh, so does ours in, in many respects as well and of course Spurs aren't used to playing Champions League and they have a big match against Inter Milan in the week which they will also have to take into consideration I think I guess this has come the right side of that European tie for, for Spurs um, insofar as that they won't be travelling, you know, back from some far-flung place, which is which has caused them a, a few problems this season, as as was to be expected, I think. Yeah, well, absolutely, it happens every time anyone new gets into Europe, doesn't it? It's, it? It takes a heck of a lot of adjusting to. I think we kind of underestimate what a what a big strain that is, you know, fly out to a European country, play a football match late in the evening, you know. Yeah, well, uh, United lost five times after European ties last season. So. Yeah, um, and we're you know incredibly experienced at doing it too. So for for a team just just getting into that that world, um, I you know I, I'd quite like to see Tottenham finishing the top four against it again this season. I think it's going to be very difficult for them. Well, it's uh, a choice of Spurs or City. Then I, I know who I'm picking. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's just I don't know. I, I like Harry Redknapp and, and I, I like Tottenham's ridiculous commitment to attacking football, and I quite like the fact that their fans aren't particularly happy when they win one nil. Um, and haven't played well 
There's there's a certain kinship I feel with Tottenham Hotspur fans anyway, and they don't like the Arsenal. Um, but yeah, um, we'll we'll win, won't we? I, I think this has got to be the game where Dimitar Berbatov scores a goal. I'm starting to get worried. Project 25 this season was looking like an absolute walk in the park. Mm, um, hadn't scored in six games. Oh, but uh, you should, he's going to get that you know score against your old club thing. That that always happens and. Uh, I, I might even predict two. I think I'm going to predict two for Dimitar Berbatov, and then Hernandez is going to nick one late. But we're also <laughs> going to cons- I think three-two is, is probably not a bad shout. Well, it's, prob- it's probably not a bad shout. Yeah, it's, it's um, United have been better in recent games in in terms of not conceding stupid goals. Obviously, the brilliant strike at Stoke. I, I don't know whether that was poor defensive play or not. Yeah, it was obviously a a top quality finish from Tunkai. It was, it was very poor defensive play because they gave the ball away in, in midfield. Poor poor midfield play that led to that goal. I, uh, yes, Paul Scholes, uh, awful pass. Yes, uh, once his legs had disappeared in the second half. So I, I, I don't know if I have a prediction. I, I guess um, a scoring win for United would be a good result. A scoring win? A scoring win, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> as opposed to the scoreless win that you know, we often <laughs> yeah, go for. Yeah. Yeah. It's more difficult to pull off the scoreless win. If we could do that, work out a way of doing that, we might be onto something. Yes, I did kind um, of mean that both sides might score, but yes. Uh, yes. Um, so, uh, what else? Bursaspor in midweek. Uh, Bursaspor were absolutely dreadful at Old Trafford. They um, were, and, and uh, I, I think that's reflected in the fact that they went to, to you know, Ibrox and lost, and then lost 4-0 at home to Valencia. So, they're, they're obviously not a top quality side um, we've faced certainly faced better Turkish sides although look you've got to respect them in their in their own park that there will be a decent side so we'll see look clearly Ferguson will rotate his squad if you play Skulls at the weekend uh, Skulls isn't likely to play on Tuesday night uh, ditto with Giggs as well so he might freshen it up Anderson hasn't played for a few games now so he might be expected to come back into it let's hope he comes back into it and uh, and demonstrates that he is better than you think he is yeah Yes, well, you know, we're, we're all hoping, as we have been for, for three years now. Harsh. <laughs> I think he missed a year of that, so let's say two years, shall we? Yeah, yeah. Of course, one player who won't be playing is, is Wayne Rooney. Um, and uh, Good. Ferguson said today that um, his injury is worse than previously thought and he could be out for longer than three weeks. Okay. Rooney's been off relaxing, shall we say, in Dubai uh, with, with his missus and her uh, newly enhanced chest. Uh, I don't know whether you uh, noticed pictures of that, but uh, yeah, she's she's uh, significantly larger than a double B these days. Oh, I, it worries me when people do stuff like that to themselves. You just think, you know, what's going on in your life that you feel the need to do that, you know? Anyway. Well, it may be something to do with uh, the, his predilection for buying £1,200 a night hookers. Yeah, but like, that doesn't seem to be a solution to that particular problem, you know what I mean? That's like, I think you might want to address the underlying cause, really, rather than... Anyway, but let's... Yes, let's yeah, no, this is football, and there's superficiality, so, yeah, um, you know, I'm sorry, love, here's a new pair of tits. Uh, and, and of course, uh, Wayne Rooney has been dining at the Seven Star Luxury Resort House in Dubai on nuggets and chips for £25. Quite amazing. <laughs> I wonder if they were, like, really, really, really nice, or if they're just, like, all right, you know. They were probably brought in from the, the Mackey D's across the road. The, the thing about um, 
spending £25 on nuggets and chips is it sounds weird, right? But what's £25 to Wayne Rooney, you know? It's like, it's the equivalent of 25p to you or I. Or yeah. actually, I'd probably, if I do the maths, it's the equivalent of a lot less than 25p to you or I. Well, he, he, he owns, what was it, £28,000 a day or something. Or something there. So, <laughs> yeah, he almost certainly ate his lunch and was uh, far richer after it. So, good luck to the lad. He might as well spend it on seven-star chicken nuggets and chips um i i don't know i, I i'm it, it's been a week and everyone has completely stopped talking about the rooney thing I, I suppose because of our our culture of column inches and internet stuff so much gets written so quickly that there's not a lot of time for digestion and you know contemplation and the fact that that happened a week ago and we're still talking about it makes it seem like ridiculously old news but it was only a week ago Yes, Sorry, yeah. life does move on in the internet world very, very quickly, doesn't it? It does, but I, I feel like um, a week on, we should probably maybe discuss some of the implications of that Wayne Rooney deal, including the potential... Is this true? Is it really true that John O'Shea is being paid £80,000 a week? Well, uh, this was a, a report in The Sun earlier this week, so we'll, oh, you know, we'll, okay. take it, we'll take it with a pinch of salt because The Sun... Um, have taken to exaggerating Wayne Rooney's wages, significantly exaggerating. I mean, they're adding in image rights, which actually aren't paid out of his wage packet, and potential bonuses and signing on fees and stuff like that. And they've all kind of clumped it together and said, oh, that's his weekly wage. So um, we'll take it with some pinch of salt because this is, seems to be a campaign they're on at the moment. Um, but uh, yeah, it looks like he's going to get, you know, whatever the final figure is, a very lavish new contract. And and I think, um, as, I, as I said on the site this week, I, I think that's inevitable because I think not only, and, and as we talked about on the, the pod last week, didn't we? Not only is the, the top level players at United, I mean, I guess fortunately for the bean counters, there aren't actually that many stars at United at the moment, but not only will they all want a top deal, so when, you know, say Nani comes to renegotiate his next contract, I mean, it'll be in a, a few years' time now because he, he signed one not that long ago, um, he'll want a lot more money uh, Dimitar Berbatov's out of contract in 2012 there's a decision to be made there by the club as are Patrice Evra John O'Shea Darren Fletcher so there's, there's quite a few people out of contract in around 18 months time that the club will start negotiating with and try and conclude them in the summer with their, their policy of of concluding those deals a year before the um, end of those players' contracts and that, that's kind of in stark contrast to the PLC policy which was to tie them up with two years um, to go and obviously the Glazers' motivation is to save on wages the PLC's motivation was to show shareholders that uh, we're protecting our assets so slightly different policy the, 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 the thing about, um, about our wage structure is I mean my initial thought was very much that way. we really don't have that many players who are going to really benefit from Rooney's uh, you know massively inflated salary because there really are not that many players in a position to take advantage of the ridiculously inflated salary demands or at least that's what I thought till I saw that story about John O'Shea and I just hope that it's crazy because I mean realistically what sort of wages should John O'Shea be being paid 
for his contribution to the club. Uh, a threepence halfpenny? I I don't know. Yeah. Not... I mean, even when even when you start saying numbers, you like I was thinking like, well, twenty five grand a week, and then in my head that just sounded absolutely insane that John O'Shea could get twenty five thousand pounds a week. But um, but I guess yeah. yeah. I, I think I think the issue is is it's it's na- it's relative, right? So they they're going to keep some kind of parity across the club. You know, there are basically three. Well, there were three groups of players. The the very top earners, which did include uh, Rooney and Berbatov and Giggs and Ferdinand and Ronaldo and Tevez when they're at the club, and that, that that kind of top group has been whittled down a little bit. Ryan Giggs, as we know, I mean, still a top earner at the club, but you know, quite possibly going to retire this summer. If not, he'll get another contract, but it won't be on one hundred eighty thousand pounds a week. And then there's the, the kind of middle group, which John O'Shea seems to be in now. I guess will at the moment uh, includes Darren Fletcher and. Patrice Ever and Nemanja Vidic is on the cusp I guess he's he's on 90 grand a week so you know he's not the top earner at the club um, yeah, Ferdinand and somewhat more and then, and then they're the, the younger players who earn somewhat less right down to Bebe who I, I, someone told me this week earns uh, about £90,000 a year um, which is no. well it's somewhat better than living on the streets I suppose well it is but if you're going to pay £7 million to a club for a play you'd, you'd give him more than 90 grand a week I mean yeah. 90 grand a year so I'm um, interesting that I mean uh, um, isn't it some of the some of the figures coming out this week I suspect we're going to hear more about Bebe but of, of the 9 million euro fee which actually in today's money works out at 7.9 million pounds although a lot of people quote it at 7.4 depends on whether you're using mid-market rates or tourist rates or or whatever, and uh, you know, obviously, the exchange rates changed a little bit since August. Uh, so uh, yeah, of that fee, um, five and a half went to Vittorio Guimaraes, the club, and three and a half went to Gestafute, which is Jorge Mendes' agency, yeah, who apparently part owned the player. So not only did Vittoria flip him in five weeks, but somewhere along the line, given that. Given that Mendes only became Bebe's agency two weeks before he left the club, somewhere along the line they apparently bought out um, some part of of Bebe's economic rights. It's all very, very dodgy. And given the the nature of the deal with United, it still smells a bit to me. Yeah, it's, 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 it is that that whole thing was a very very weird situation. Um, yeah, what if he comes good, then that's fine. Um, the the other thing is, that, of course, uh, it was recorded in the United's accounts as an eight point three million pound post balance sheet transaction. So uh, we have seven point four million quoted in the papers. Of course, a couple of them got it completely wrong and said, "Oh, actually, United picked up a four point eight million pound bargain." No, no, no. That's that's just the split between where the fee went between Gestafute and Vittoria. I, I, it really does national papers get it so badly wrong um does infuriate me because it's their job to get it right uh, and anyway by the way 4.8 million pound bargain yes it's not I quite mean, a bargain why it's a bargain even at but, but so in united accounts it's actually gone down as 8.3 million pounds and right. united claim that no money went to agents or at least directly from them we now know that significant amount of money went to agents it still doesn't quite add up and i haven't got an answer out of anyone yet uh, as to why these figures don't quite add up and why it's so high for a player that before he joined United had played uh, about 26 games in the third division. Edwin van der Sar turns 40 this week. 
today, in fact. Happy today. birthday, happy birthday, Van der Sar, yeah. He's, Last uh, time we recorded a podcast, it was Darren Gibson's birthday, and today it's Edwin Van der Sar's, and uh, if we record a podcast on Darren Gibson's 40th birthday, A, I'm not sure we'll uh, necessarily make reference to it, and B, I will have to have serious questions about the direction our, both of our lives have gone, uh, but still, happy birthday, Edwin. You you won't be recording this podcast in seventeen years time. <laughs> I'm I, I'm disappointed with your lack of commitment, Paul. <laughs> okay, do you know what? I'm going to kiss the badge and sign a seventeen year United Runcast uh, contract. Lavish, lavish seventeen year <laughs> contract. Yeah, no expense spared at Rant Towers. Let me tell you, <laughs> no expense spent at Rant Towers. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, forty forty years young, um, and and sometimes he's shown it, hasn't he, over the last couple of years? But generally speaking, he's that kind of calming influence and has a a really positive effect on the team. And we'll we'll forget that that horrendous error against West Brom that is a once in a lifetime screw up, and I wouldn't expect to see it again. Um, and the big question with Van der Sar is: Is he going to stay on next year or not? And if he does stay on, can he make a really meaningful contribution next year? Because I, uh, you know, I, I think he could he could stay at the club. But you, can you really play every week? I mean, I get what are there? Are, is there a history of top goalkeepers um, staying to sort of forty one, forty two? There really isn't, is there? Even goalkeepers. What? Yeah, I mean, forty seems to be the the limit. Uh, obviously, Dino Zoff played in a World Cup final at forty. Uh, Peter Shilton played in the World Cup. At 40, um, Steve Grizovic, the former Coventry City player, seemed to play till he was about 87. Uh, David James is still playing, albeit in the Championship, and he's he's older than Van der Sar. So um, keepers can go on that long, and it it depends on yeah how often they play and you know their agility and and uh, you know whether they get injuries. And and Van der Sar's been you know, pretty lucky. I mean, he had that, obviously the finger injury last season, and then the timeout with his uh, when his missus was ill, but. Um, he's been pretty lucky with injuries. He seems to get most of his agility. I, I think you notice if most of his mistakes in the last few seasons have been at the the near post. You know, the hardest bit to get down to. So maybe you know, maybe some of that is going with him. But the experience still counts for a lot. So um, I, I think he could play next season. I don't think United could attract a another top goalkeeper to come to the club if he's still there, because that they will inevitably be thinking that they're just going to be second choice, like. Thomas Cusack has been for the last four years or whatever he's been at Old Trafford. Yeah, but I think Thomas Cusack knew he was coming to be the second keeper, didn't he? I don't think he ever thought he was going to be United's number one, necessarily. Yes, but he thought he might have an opportunity in, because van der Zaal was ancient already, So, and and, and yeah, he hasn't got it. So, yeah, someone who, someone who came in in January, um, you could legitimately make the argument that oh, van der Zaal's retiring in the summer and you know, we're going to give you some time to bed in on, or whatever. Um, that's unlikely to, very, very unlikely to happen. I think United will probably be looking for a goalkeeper in, in, um, in the summer, and and they have looked at many over the last few months, haven't they? I mean, we we know they scouted uh, David de Gea from Atletico Madrid. Anders Lingard has been um, linked with the club many times. They've watched him five or six times now. He's the Danish number one now. Only recently, the Danish number one, mind you. Um, uh, scouts have apparently looked at Igor Akinfeev, the Russian from CSK Moscow, and Manuel Neuer, the excellent young keep, German keeper, and Hugo Lloris from Lyon, although uh, dealing with that club is always a problem, so you know that would seem like an outside bet to me. Uh, yeah. they've, they've had a couple of players on 
trial. They had um, the Algerian World Cup goalkeeper Rice Mboli. Uh, I hope I said that even nearly right. And and then of course they invited the Thailand goalkeeper Kawin Thamasachoan um, for a trial. <laughs> Excellent pronunciation. Yeah, probably not even nearly. And which, of course, was the uh, the big name signing that Rooney was demanding when he uh, when he signed a new contract with United. <laughs> um, um, out of all of those, who if you had if you were given I don't know a hundred pounds and told you can uh, you can put this money on any of these people, um, who would you put that hundred pounds on being the next United goalkeeper? I, I would I would say actually none of the the ones I mentioned I think Martin Stecklenberg might be the more likely option for for a couple of reasons he's he's obviously got the kind of stature he's an international goalkeeper uh, he's a little bit older he's 28 now and um, he he's coming into the last year of his contract so the fee ought to be reasonable so I, I think he he might be the most likely uh, he's the one that uh, seems there seems to be the least noise about which kind of makes me think that he's probably more likely uh, if if the club are not spending money and they're still being cheap and uh, all the spin about Ferguson having 100 million pounds to spend then then it might be this chef Anders Lingard I've never seen him play uh, he plays in Norway at the moment he has had something of a journeyman career he's actually played less than 50 games in his career and he's 26 so would seem like a bit of a gamble um, and of the others, I, I think uh, De Gea, um, who I've seen plenty of times, just looks, he looks like a, a young Van der Sar. He's got that kind of stature and composure and calmness, and he just looks outstanding. But Ferguson did say recently that it takes experience to play Old Trafford. And, and you, you might say that's probably true. I mean, there have been a lot of failures, haven't they, in the goalkeeping department? And, um, you know, obviously there's a lot of pressure, and you make a mistake, it's going to be on the, the front, not the back pages, if you play for Manchester United. So... No, David no, De Gea, David De Gea might be a well. Okay, you know, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> Van der Sar drops ball into goal. Uh, Chilean sure... miners also rescued. <laughs> that's that, that's not how it goes in the front pages. Well, it's damn damn well should be. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, seriously, that, that might exclude David De Gea. And and of course, um, Atletico Madrid are not exactly paupers. They are the the third biggest club in Spain. So a uh, a significant fee would be demanded. Yeah. Yeah, um, and probably justified if he if he is the player that um, people seem to think he might be. Yeah, and of course they seem to have a a plethora of uh, really outstanding goalkeepers in Spain at the moment, don't they? I mean, they've obviously Casillas and and uh, Victor Valdez at Barcelona and, and De Gea looks great, and and uh, Reina seems to slip. Which of course United were linked with this week. I, I, you know, I never actually rated him that highly, but um, he, he of course made the World Cup squad. So you know, they've got a lot of high quality keepers and and Pepe Reina. If he didn't play for Liverpool, you'd probably rate him an awful lot higher. It, it, it certainly seems like the what do we do next about our goalkeeper situation. I mean, Van der Sol was only ever going to be a temporary fix to that um, post Schmeichel problem, basically. Um, and he's lasted a lot longer than anybody thought he would, I think, at the very top level. Um, and he's certainly been the only keeper since Schmeichel that looks like a proper Manchester United goalkeeper. And let's let's hope we can find the net the next Peter Schmeichel, Edwin van der Sar somewhere out there in the world to play for Manchester United. Yeah, but they're going to have to buy quality and I, I think the, the, what, what they did last time is they were a bit cheap about it for a while and, and uh, you know, they brought in Bosnich and then Taibi and van der Gaal is still there and 
and uh, later brought in um, Roy Carroll and, and obviously the you know the experiment with Fabien Barthez I mean they spent a lot of money on Fabien Barthez and, and it seemed to work for a while didn't it and then his form really really went I was, I was trying to add them up it seems like there have been 10 goalkeepers that Ferguson tried before before buying Van der Sar so there's that kind of six year period of of wilderness in the goalkeeping department and and uh, I'm, I'm sure the amount of goalkeepers that Ferguson's team have been looking at is to to make sure they don't make the same mistake again yeah absolutely um uh Wayne Rooney who is injured again as we, as we said uh not nominated for the Ballon d'Or which caused some disquiet mostly from at Rio 35 um you, you pointed out to me in our little preamble that we have before the show recording that the Ballon d'Or is uh, an annual rather than seasonal um award and so it's the best players of 2010 that are being rewarded here and really Wayne Rooney was only one of the best players in the world for three months of 2010 yeah the awards given in mid-December and the voting kind of commences now it's um it's a it's a, it's slightly modified they used to be of course the the France football Ballon d'Or and then the FIFA world player of the year and they've merged them together so the the voting are France football correspondents from around the world, plus national team captains and national team coaches. And I don't know if that will make a difference in terms of how it comes out, but it's you know going on now until about mid-December. So yeah, it's an annual thing, and, and Wayne Rooney's form was great. January, February, March, then he got injured, and it's been absolutely abysmal since, and uh, he's been sleeping with hookers and and blackmailing the club and on that form is he among the best 23 players in the world he's not even among the best 23 players at our club so I don't think it was that much of a shock at all I think that's just at Rio 35 not understanding the the um the nature of the voting or being very loyal to his teammate far more shocking of course was the fact that um Diego Milito um who had a brilliant season and was superb you know leading into the the Champions League was voted UEFA's striker of the season. Had a quiet World Cup. Okay, he just he didn't actually play much, but you know Maradona had seventy-five different forwards to pick from. Uh, but you know, started started the season off at Inter well as well. I mean, you know, they they're going pretty good guns. Um, and um, yeah, it's a, a shock omission that was. Yeah, absolutely. Who do you, who do you think will win it? Incidentally, um, I, I think um, who, who I'd like to win it is uh, Xavi. I think it would be recognition for um, a, a superb career and his just superb form over the last two years. Who I think will win yeah. is probably Leo Messi again. Yeah. Um, of the top three, I'm sure it will be Xavi and Messi, and then Wes Snyder will come into that top two with Andreas Iniesta because he had some. He has had quite a lot of injury problems in the Esther during 2010 but he of course had a brilliant World Cup so that will play quite highly in the in the voting I'm sure no one's even talking about Cristiano for, for no the but she's insane how many goals has Cristiano scored for Madrid some 40 something in 40 something yeah yeah it's, it's just incredible Absolutely it's um, insane it's uh, I mean of course uh, some of this thinking is is because of well you know a Barcelona's kind of dominance in terms of um, seeming dominance. I mean, they only finished a couple of points ahead of Madrid, didn't they? But seeming yeah. dominance of the Spanish game, and so, so many of them went into the uh, the Spanish World Cup squad. So you know that that's going to cloud things. And of course, Inter won the um, Inter won the European Cup, and Madrid failed. But yeah, uh, Cristiano got what twenty six goals last season, or something like that. I mean, he's almost yeah. almost a goal a game, and he, he did have some injuries, and um, he didn't score for the first what three games this season or something. So people were howling and saying oh it, you know it's the end of Cristiano Ronaldo and he's got 10 goals in October already <laughs> <laughs> I miss him I, I didn't think I would you know because 
that great big ego. There's something about a Nike advert that really endeared me to uh, to Cristiano Ronaldo. Him worshiping at the altar of his own massive statue. There was something really amusing about that. And then yeah, yeah, but self-parody. You, but well, you, you wonder if it was actually mm, self-parody. That's what you're going to say. Yeah, that is what I was going to say. Yes, I'm not. I'm not sure. There's um. They they have a festival in uh, in Valencia every year where they uh, create big papier mache statues and then burn them uh, and yeah. some of them are just you know like aliens or bugs or whatever and and last year they had a giant Cristiano Ronaldo looking into a giant mirror looking really smug and I just thought it was just a brilliant brilliant <laughs> <laughs> he really should go onto the field with a mirror and he'd probably still score a hat trick and you know while checking out his his hairline. He'd use the mirror to do what he's always wanted to do, which is provide his own assists. You know, a team of Cristiano Ronaldo's. And um, we've we've been. I noticed uh, our away support's been been bringing out Viva Ronaldo quite often recently. Which is yeah, interesting. I, I don't know how exactly how I feel about that. It doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, I, I wonder if it's just that we clearly miss him so much. You know, on the pitch and so that we do miss him on the pitch. But also, there's contrast. I, I think you know, history has has painted. Cristiano in, a, in a, a pretty good light when it comes to leaving United I mean um, yeah. of course you know it was spun in the right way United of course got the massive fee it's not like he left, left on a free transfer or left for a rival at least in domestic terms and it was a club he always wanted to go to and he, he you know he basically stayed at United three years longer than perhaps he, he wanted to and and uh, you know didn't make that much of a fuss about it he didn't blackmail the club into into signing a new contract or or you know demanding a press statement to uh to have a transfer and say he wasn't going to play for the club or insult his fellow professionals so in comparison to Wayne Rooney he comes out of this really well and his form never dropped on the pitch at all no no I mean he again had some injuries he again had some injuries didn't he in his last season at United but he scored 26 league goals or or something or 26 goals in all competitions he still had a phenomenal season you know a a little bit of a dip from the 40 odd the year before but but that was because of injury and and yeah it's just when you talk about his numbers like when we were growing up do you remember the season when Clive Allen scored 40 goals in a season yeah uh, but that only ever happened once. It was like really out of the ordinary, you know. But Ronaldo, it's just like, oh yeah, Ronaldo's uh, Ronaldo's had a bit of an injury for four months this season, so he's only got twenty-eight goals. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, his numbers are just ridiculous. Um, and and I kind of I do I do wish him well at, at Madrid. And well, he's playing know. in a phenomenal side at the moment. I mean, they they really do look good. They they're not conceding many goals, and uh, they, well, they scored six the other week and four the week before. So they're um, they are playing some great football, and they've got just. Uh, so many attacking players and honestly Ronaldo and Higuain and and uh, Benzema can't get a game at the moment Ozil's had a brilliant start to the season Di Maria's really coming into it now and you know, Pedro Leon who they, they bought from Getafe looks like a really good player as well so they've just got so many attacking players um, and Jose's got them playing some really great football and and anyone who thought that Jose um, or Jose, I think it is in Portuguese, it is Jose. It? Jose, sorry, he really must must get that right. Um, just in case he listens to the pod, I'm sure he does. Hi, Jose. Uh, yeah, hmm. and uh, you know, just in case people thought um, his teams couldn't play good football, well, you know, Madrid are, are proving that wrong with a, a whole bunch of young players as well. So maybe that will uh, paint a brighter picture for those United fans who are who are not in favour of him coming to Old Trafford when he never does in 18 months time I, I, I'm, I'm not one of those I, I would welcome him with open arms I for one welcome our Jose Mourinho overlords with open arms to 
paraphrase The Simpsons. Um, talking of saying hello to people listening to the Rantcast, I wanted to give a big shout out, as I believe the kids call them, to Rob Diablo, uh, who always comments on the Rantcast. And for about I don't know six or eight weeks, I've got to the end of the show and gone, ah, oh, forgot to say hello to Rob Diablo. So hello, Rob Diablo. Thank you for all the comments. They're much appreciated. I, I check the comments on Rantcast posts uh, a little more than is healthy. Also, like to say a very big thank you to Roy underscore Keens underscore Gum, one of my very favourite Twitterers in the whole world for describing our Backtrack Special Edition Rantcast as a must-listen uh, on the basis of my impression of Wayne Rooney-like when he went to All right, by Cristiano Ronaldo. That sounded a bit Welsh. Uh, all right, <laughs> that's what Ryan Giggs said when he negotiated his contract. He went, you buy me Cristiano Ronaldo, I'll stay at the club, but... That's not how Ryan Giggs talks. I, I apologise from the bottom of my heart to both Ryan Giggs and any of his family members who might be listening. And the whole nation of Wales, I should yeah. think, for that outrageous my impression. Lovely, my lovely land. I love Wales, Edward. I love it. Anyway. Doesn't, doesn't everybody, the land of sheep and hills. Yeah, that's right. And, you know. And crack. If you've ever been to Swansea, yeah, so I've heard. I have. Swansea's the only place I've ever been where um, there were needles on the floor of the bar I was in. I was like, oh, this is not perhaps where we should be. I hope you weren't sharing. I no, I, I would like to put on the record that I wasn't using. They were just there on the floor. I was like, oh, brilliant. We're in, we're in a classy part of town, obviously. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it probably was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very sorry for our, to our listeners from Swansea. It's a, it's a lovely city, really. Have they got the internet there now? In Swansea? Yes, yeah, sorry. I don't know. I'm not sure they've invented the wheel yet. Um, really, I don't know why we're picking on Swansea. That seems like a weird thing to do. I, I'm excited. On the 13th of November, United are playing Villa. And I'm actually going to get to go to a game. Oh, which good is not stuff. something I can do uh, normally, so, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Sadly, I don't get to sit in the away end and uh, try and convince everyone that my uh, we'll all have peace for tea middle eight is the way to go with the Viva Hernandez chant. But I'm going to keep doing it until it gets picked up because my lifetime's ambition is to try and start a chant at uh, Manchester United. Um, so uh, I guess we'll be back next week with another one of these, right? Where we'll look back at the Bursa Spore and Spurs games. Not easy to say um, and look forward to whoever it is we're playing next weekend and say happy birthday to any other United players whose birthday it is. We will indeed. Goodbye.